Before uh, we get into our text this morning, I want to uh, discuss just a moment the importance of Old Testament books uh, like Deuteronomy. We have to remember what Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and beneficial for teaching, training, rebuke, and correction. And at the same time, we also need to remember uh, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. And if the life and ministry of Jesus are a fulfillment of the teachings that we find in books like Deuteronomy, then it's important for us to be familiar with what's said here, what's actually taught. In other words, don't ever listen to anyone who tells you that the New Testament is more important than the Old. Because the New Testament, that is to say the New Covenant, is a fulfillment of the old, a fulfillment that we have in Jesus Christ. You can't really have, you know, the New Testament without the old. Deuteronomy has something to say to you and me because its function is to call every generation of God's people to a faithful covenant love for God in response to His saving grace. These are the kinds of topics which Moses addresses in three major pastoral discussions or sermons, we could say, I guess, that he gives to the children of Israel on the plains of Moab shortly before his death and just before God will lead his people into the promised land through a new leader, which is Joshua. And in these three major addresses by Moses, he speaks, first of all, about the importance of remembering the grace of this covenantal God that they worship. Then he explains God's gifts to his people. And finally, he speaks to the importance of trusting God's grace, trusting that God will do what he has said he will do. And our passage is the conclusion of this third address. So with that in mind, I'll turn to Deuteronomy uh, 30, and I'll read verses 15 through 20 for us. This is Moses speaking. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him. 
for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Well, we can see from the words that I just read that Moses is concluding this third address with a very strong appeal to choose between the two options he's been placing before the Israelites all along. And in this passage, we can see, as one scholar put it, and he was so succinct, I just decided to steal his outline. We can see the choice, the conditions, and the consequences. See, it's even alliterated. Now, the choice is abundantly clear, as we can see here in verse 15. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. You know, if you've ever had some sort of elective surgery, uh, you may remember the quest that you undertook to find out all the information you needed to make an informed decision. Uh, you probably talked to at least one doctor and maybe two or three. You probably did some research in the library or online and read all about this particular procedure. And at the same time, uh, you probably uh, delved into anecdotal evidence. That is to say, you talked to someone or maybe several people who had had that kind of elective surgery. You did all of this and maybe more before you made your decision. You see, all through this book of Deuteronomy, Moses has been giving God's people all of the research needed in order to make the right decision. He has set the information before them. He knows he won't be leading them into the promised land, and he knows that's when the choice will be made by the decisions they make and the lives they lead. Just like I won't be leading you in the years to come. But I feel like over the past 20 years, I've given you all of the information you need. You know, we choose death or life by the way we choose to live. We all know people who smoke or abuse alcohol or do other foolish things that proclaim by their actions that they're choosing death. But Moses is speaking about more than just physical life in this passage. For Moses, life is not simply uh, the number of long days one might live. Rather, it's about loving and obeying and cleaving to the Lord instead of pursuing a lifestyle where the gods of the world are followed. And this fact helps us to transition from the choice to the conditions. Notice those conditions in verse 16. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, and we'll cut off the sentence right there because those are the conditions. 
And these conditions are so important because they help maintain our end of the covenant relationship. We know that God initiates. God initiates the covenant just like He did with Abraham. But a covenant is an agreement between two different parties. And notice that the conditions involve a, a cause and an effect. Or at least that's the form in which we have them here in this passage. If you do thus and so, then this specific thing will take place. Moses is constantly emphasizing these conditions because he knows what will happen if they're forgotten. And we know that the children of Israel did just that. We know that because later on in their generations we can read over and over again in the book of Judges that the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Every man followed his own way and we're told of other gods that they served and worshiped it's it's all about obedience that is practiced and lived because of love this is why Jesus says if you love me you will keep my commandments he gives this teaching because that's what the law teaches if you obey you love the Lord your God, and if you love Him, you walk in His ways and keep His commandments. And this kind of love that generates obedience is also tied to faith. Now, we don't see faith mentioned in this text before us, but we do in Hebrews 3 and 4, where the writer of Hebrews is talking about this this generation of people that Moses had been leading for 40 years through the wilderness. And in Hebrews 4, we can read about that generation and their rejection of God's grace and election, redemption, the gift of the covenant, and His providential care, where that writer says to us in his fourth chapter, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did talking about those children of Israel who wandered around the wilderness for 40 years but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith and we can see that this behavior was true for many of the Jews in each succeeding generation for many of their kings some of their prophets even who were false because of their lack of faith they didn't believe God they didn't believe his word they didn't love God as they should and that lack of love translated into poor obedience which brings us to the consequences section of our text we can see those consequences listed quite clearly at the end of verse 16. Remember, that verse begins, if you obey. And then we can see the words, then you shall live and multiply. 
And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. In other words, if you make a good choice, then there are good consequences. And we know that's true in our own lives. If your parents were like mine, they talked a lot about consequences when you were young. And I knew very clearly that if I didn't obey my father or my mother, there would be consequences that I probably wouldn't like because of that decision. You know, through the years, we've had all kinds of educators in the life of this church who teach in public schools and private schools. We've had a lot of kindergarten teachers. I don't know them all off the top of my head, but I know Rita Whitesides used to teach kindergarten. My wife used to teach kindergarten. I know Lisa Smith, you still teach kindergarten, don't you? Oh, okay. You've changed too. Well, I've heard at least one of these kindergarten teachers through the years say, you know, in the first two or three, year, uh, two or three weeks of the new school year, you know, in August, that I can't teach what I'm supposed to be teaching because I have to spend all my time on this one principle, that there are consequences to your decisions. And that's because these children, these five-year-olds, most of them, come into the classroom without any concept of consequences for their actions. If you're the parent of a child or children, this is so important. You know, even a two-year-old is, is old enough to understand that there are consequences for his or her actions if they have been taught that way. And the reason this is so important is not just because they'll need to be disciplined in a classroom one day or because there needs to be discipline in the home, though both of those things are true. Its main importance is because this is the way that God deals with you and me. This is the kind of relationship, the kind of covenant that we have with Him. There's a choice, there are conditions, and there are consequences. And if our children don't understand that in life in general, how are they going to understand it when we begin to talk to them about their relationship with their Heavenly Father? If you haven't made that clear to your children, how can they understand? For example, the words of Peter in Acts 2. When after hearing his Pentecost Day sermon, many in the crowd say, What shall we do? They're asking about conditions there. And Peter replies, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To repent is a choice. To be baptized is a condition. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is a consequence. Now, am I saying that we save ourselves? No. God always initiates by the power of His Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about that on Wednesday night with unconditional election. God initiates. 
obviously, God works in our hearts through the power of His Holy Spirit to give us a love for Him and a knowledge, as it were, of our sin and our great need for His saving grace through the work of Jesus on the cross. But that love causes us, just like these people in Jerusalem in Acts 2, to ask, what shall we do? As Hebrews 4 makes clear, we have to hear the gospel and then respond with faith. You see, we choose life as we love the Lord, as we walk in His ways and apply His word to our lives daily. Even as we partake of this sacrament, we choose life. For this sacrament is a means of grace. And it witnesses to the power of God's love for sinners like us in the death and resurrection of Jesus and His promise of grace to all who believe. We've been invited and called to this table by Jesus Himself and we come in obedience to His will knowing that as we partake by faith, we truly and spiritually receive and feed upon Christ and Him crucified. And all that He brings to us by His saving work. As God's Word reminds us, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.